Welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning, a 15 to 20 minute daily recap of headlines you may have missed. Come for the news, stay for the snarky commentary. Good morning and welcome to Monday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I am your host, literally Heather. I hope that you guys had an absolutely spectacular weekend and a fine Monday so far. Uh, I got an email from Palmetto State Armory this morning because, you know, AK Mondays. And the PSA AK 101 AKM with the Toolcraft, Bolt, Trunnion, and Carrier are currently on sale for $599.99. This is an amazing deal to get started in the AK platform. I highly recommend you check that link in the show description while these things are still in stock as of publication of this episode. I don't know if by the time you click on it, it will still be there because these will go quickly. Uh, Gavin Newsom has directed the National Guard and California State Police to coordinate with the city police in efforts to fight fentanyl trafficking. The state will expand its law enforcement presence around the city in hopes of mitigating crimes linked to the fentanyl epidemic and hopefully reducing the number of overdoses from the powerful synthetic opioid. Our police department and district attorney have been partnering to tackle this issue and increase enforcement, but our local agencies could use more support, said the mayor. With the governor's leadership and clear direction, our state enforcement agencies can partner with us to make a difference for our residents, businesses, and workers who are living with the impacts State and local officials didn't provide specifics on how the additional resources will be distributed or what parts of the city are of grave concern. However, Governor Newsom popped in on Wednesday to San Francisco's Tenderloin neighborhood before a meeting with city leaders on how to address the fentanyl crisis. The Tenderloin is considered the epicenter of homelessness and drug use. In late 2021, Mayor Breed issued a state of emergency for the Tenderloin in an effort to reduce overdose deaths. In other words, the governor climbed down from his ivory tower to see the plebs and realized, hmm, my policies seem to have ruined this city and state. Let's clean this shit up so that when I run for president, I look good. Following this latest development, San Francisco public defender Manu Raju responded to Newsom's announcement. No amount of law enforcement will solve what is actually a public health crisis, Raju said in a statement. We know from 50 years of the war on drugs that people who are likely to be targeted by any forthcoming operations will be in low-income and black and brown communities, including those who have been trafficked or coerced into the drug trade under threat to themselves and their families. Others, including SFPD Chief Bill Scott and DA Brooke Jenkins, were grateful for Newsom's announcement. There was mixed reaction to the governor's plans in the Tenderloin. Some, like the police, were pleased with the decision. However, residents had questions about what kind of force this emergency order would bring to their area, as well as what the back end of arrests looked like. They fear the drug dealers will be released quickly after being arrested and then just return to the area. I can't imagine why that would be a fear of theirs. It's not like it's not been happening already. Educators at over 120 districts across the country are implementing a pervasive school curriculum that has been denounced by opponents as an effort to manipulate children's values and beliefs 
and replaced parents as the primary moral authority in their child's lives, with many critics specifically pointing to similarities with programs from the CDC as a major point of contention. The School Superintendents Association, or the AASA, with the help of superintendents, board members, and school administrators, is implementing the Learning 2025 program, which calls for an equity-focused, holistic redesign of the United States public education system by 2025 in districts across the country. Did you hear that? There's that fucking word again, equity. Not merit in education, equity. Well, the majority of the class failed the test. I'm so sorry, we can't give you that A, because that would be unfair to the lazy pukes that didn't study for the test. We are not a serious country anymore when we spend our time rewarding mediocrity and punishing success. Learning 2025 frequently references the idea of a whole child educational framework to promote the notion that school districts should focus on a collective, whole community vision that is strikingly similar to the whole school, whole community, whole child educational framework devised by the CDC. Both programs place a strong emphasis on a student's and teacher's social and emotional health, including employee wellness programs, as well as psychological and social services, like school-based health and counseling centers. The CDC's whole child approach places its focus on psychological counseling and social services for students and teachers to further the collaboration between education leaders and health sectors to improve each child's cognitive, physical, social, and emotional development, which is often referred to as social-emotional learning, or SEL. SEL is advertised as a way to teach students social skills in support of their mental health and emotional well-being, but it has been criticized as a way to implement controversial topics like critical race theory, gender theory. As a result, it has become a point of contention among parents, teachers, and politicians who advocate for a strong academic emphasis at school and against classroom discussions that they feel should be left up to parents' discretion at home. Learning 2025 is presented as the answer to what has happened to the children during the COVID-19 shutdown, but the root of the problem is not the shutdown itself. I have a problem accepting a program from the very same people that caused the problem in the first place. That's what I want parents to know. These organizations were the problem, and now they're offering you a solution to the problem, but don't go to the school board and voice your concerns because you'll end up on an FBI watch list because they're more worried about you than the crazies who are out there writing manifestos. Because war pays more than minding your own business, all NATO members have agreed that Ukraine will join the military alliance. General Jen Stoltenberg made the announcement on Friday ahead of the 11th meeting of the Ukrainian Defense Group. Stoltenberg fell short of offering a timeline on when Ukraine could become a member of NATO, and said that the main focus now is to ensure the country prevails in the conflict with Russia. Should Ukraine become a member of the military alliance, NATO would be obligated to take action to defend it against Russia in the ongoing war. The Ukrainian leader said following discussions with Stoltenberg on Thursday that while he is grateful for an invitation to attend a NATO summit in Vilnius, Lithuania in July, he believes it's important that Ukraine 
also receive a corresponding invitation. (laughs) This man, thanks for this, but I want that too. There is not a single objective barrier that would prevent the adoption of political decisions on inviting Ukraine to the alliance. And right now, when the majority of people in NATO countries and the majority of Ukrainians support the entry of our state into the alliance, it is time for the appropriate decisions. It is no longer possible to imagine the security of the Euro-Atlantic space without Ukraine. And people understand this, Zelensky said. So this man just told you that you cannot protect your countries without Ukraine and in the Euro-Atlantic space. Can we just take a moment to remind everyone that out of 180 countries in the index of corruption, Ukraine ranks 116th among the 180. Number one is the most honest. Sorry, just wanted to introduce a moment of sanity and an ocean of Ukrainian propaganda. Commenting on Stoltenberg's trip to Ukraine, the Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov told reporters on Thursday that stopping Ukraine from joining NATO was unconditionally one of the goals of his country's invasion. Otherwise, there would be a serious, substantial threat to our country and its security. I know that Russia is the big bad boogeyman and all, but we would not be okay with Mexico or Canada joining China in a military alliance against the United States. But do as I say, not as I do, right? In less than three years, Biden has had to evacuate his fourth embassy. On Saturday, it was said that U.S. government personnel has been evacuated from Sudan. The president said, today, on my orders, the United States military conducted an operation to extract U.S. government personnel from Khartoum. In a separate statement, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said that all U.S. personnel and their families had been evacuated and that operations at the U.S. Embassy in Khartoum have been temporarily suspended. A group of just over 100 special operations forces were involved in the extraction. The operation was led by U.S. Africa Command and conducted in close coordination with the State Department, said Lloyd Austin, the U.S. Secretary of Defense. The decision to evacuate the American personnel comes after a week of heavy fighting between rival military factions, the Sudanese Armed Forces, or the SAF, and the Rapid Support Forces, or the RSF, which has left hundreds dead and thousands wounded. Blinken said the widespread fighting posed an unacceptable risk to our embassy personnel, noting that suspending operations at one of our embassies is always a difficult decision, the fourth time that you've made it in three years. But the safety of our personnel is my first responsibility. Undersecretary of State for Management John Bass said Saturday that temporarily closing the embassy was the only really feasible option for us in this case. As a result of the intensity of the conflict and challenges that our diplomatic personnel were experiencing in conducting basic operations and the uncertainty about the availability of key supplies like fuel and food going forward, We reluctantly decided it was time to suspend operations, he told reporters on a briefing call. Fewer than 100 people were evacuated from the U.S. Embassy, including a small number of diplomatic professionals from other countries, Bass said. We do not have any U.S. government personnel remaining in Khartoum at this time, but there is still a substantial number of our local staff supporting the embassy in a caretaker status. Similar to Afghanistan, though, Thousands of regular Americans were left behind to fend for themselves as the U.S. 
does not foresee coordinating a U.S. government evacuation for our fellow citizens. A State Department spokesperson confirmed Sunday that the department has notified the U.S. citizen community via consular channels about the organization of two convoys facilitated by Turkey and the United Arab Emirates. Let me ref- let me just say that one more time. You have Turkey and the UAE facilitating a convoy of American citizens to leave the country. The U.S. State Department is not involved. The message told Americans they would be traveling at their own risk. The message sent to U.S. citizens in Sudan comes as top U- State Department officials said on Saturday that the U.S. government does not foresee coordinating a U.S. government evacuation for our fellow citizens in Sudan at this time or in the coming days. A senior Pentagon official had said that in the coming days, we will continue to work with the State Department to possibly help American citizens who may want to leave Sudan. The embassy had approximately 70 staff members, but there are an estimated 16,000 Americans living in Sudan. Work for the government you'll be fine. Be the peasant we steal from, you're on your own. May the odds be ever in your favor. The Biden administration is reportedly finalizing a proposal that would force fossil fuel-fired power plants to substantially curb emissions or utilize costly carbon capture technology. The proposal, which will soon be released by the EPA, is expected to require coal and natural gas-fired power plants to cut or capture the vast majority of their carbon dioxide emissions by 2040. Citing officials briefed on a draft of the plan, the regulation, if finalized, would represent the first-ever federal action curbing power plant emissions. Overall, there are 3,393 fossil fuel-fired power plants nationwide, the majority of which are natural gas plants, according to the most recent federal data. Those plants generate more than 60% of the nation's electricity compared to the roughly 14% of electricity generated by wind and solar projects. However, EPA data shows that the electric power sector counts for about 25% of total U.S. emissions, placing it behind only the transportation sector and slightly ahead of the industrial sector. As such, Fossil fuel power plants have been targeted by environmentalists and Democratic lawmakers who argue that emissions must be reduced in an effort to stave off cataclysmic climate change. If you guys will remember, the Supreme Court ruled in June of 2022 that an Obama-era rule limiting power plant emissions under the Clean Air Act was unconstitutional. So you may be thinking, well, this will never stand. They've already stated it. Well, Congress granted the EPA explicit power to issue such regulations in the Inflation Reduction Act that was passed two months after that ruling, allowing the EPA to regulate greenhouse gas emissions. What is that saying? Elections have consequences? Around 3,000 migrants set out Sunday on what they call a mass protest procession through southern Mexico to demand the end of the detention centers like the one that caught fire last month, which killed 40 migrants. The migrants started from the city of Tapachula, near the Guatemalan border. They say their aim is to reach Mexico City to demand changes in the way that migrants are treated. 
organizer Irenio Mujica said that the migrants are demanding the dissolving of the country's immigration agency, whose official has been blamed, and some charged with homicide in the March 27th fire. Mujica called the immigration detention centers jails. The roots of the migrant caravan phenomenon began years ago when activists organized processions, often with a religious theme, during Holy Week to dramatize the hardships and needs of migrants. In 2018, a minority of those involved wound up traveling all the way to the U.S. border. This year's mass walk began well after Holy Week had ended, but Mujica, a leader in the Pueblo Sin Fronteras activist group, called it a via crucis, or Stations of the Cross procession, and some migrants carried wooden crosses. In this via crucis, we are asking the government that justice be done to the killers. For them to stop hiding high-ranking officials, Mujica said in Tapachula, before the long walk began. We are also asking that these jails be ended and that the National Immigration Institute be dissolved. The fire in Ciudad Juarez, across the border from El Paso, Texas, began after a migrant allegedly set fire to a foam mattress to protest a supposed transfer. The fire quickly filled the facility with smoke. No one let the migrants out. Six officials of the National Immigration Institute, a guard at the center of the Venezuelan migrant, accused of starting the blaze, are already in custody facing homicide charges. Migrants, especially poorer ones who cannot afford to pay migrant smugglers, have often seen such mass walks or caravans as a way to reach the United States border. Successive caravans grew to massive size in 2018 and 2019 before authorities in Mexico and Central America began stopping them on highways. Twitter has again U-turned over its verification policy, restoring the blue check free of charge to celebrity users of the social network. But the site's decision to reinstate the verified status without distinguishing between paid for and free users has led to criticism for false advertising. Since the boilerplate disclaimer for those users inaccurately describes their status as being granted because they are subscribed to Twitter Blue, but the move, which left only those users who had paid for Twitter's subscription service with a checkmark, had unforeseen consequences for Elon Musk, the social network's owner and chief executive. Rather than encouraging pre-existing verified users to splash out the subscription fee, which starts at $8 a month, the overwhelming majority simply continued using the site. Public data shows that fewer than 500 of the 400,000 legacy users signed up, and almost as many users canceled their subscription at the same time for a net increase of less than $300 a month. As a result, a blue check on the social network rapidly came to mark out a user as paying for the privilege, leading to a grassroots campaign to, quote, block the blue, with users committing to blocking subscribers on site. I'm pretty sure that Dennis impersonating the celebrities helped with this reversal, and I blame blame him wholeheartedly. Just kidding. I love you, Dennis. Uh, That is your Monday edition of everything yesterday this morning. Again, don't forget to go to that link in the description. Check out that PSA deal on the AK-47 
Otherwise, you guys take care. Have a wonderful day. I will see you tomorrow. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. Also, please don't forget to check out shouseinthehouse.com and never forget that free men do not need permission from any government. Have a great day.